Hey, Leah. Hi, Sue. How are you today? I'm good. I slept funny, but other than that, I'm in a good mood. What do you mean funny? What did you do? <laughs> I was telling jokes all night. <laughs> you gotta call me next time. <laughs> all right, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, cool. Welcome to the Hey Sue podcast in our new format. We're doing deep, real, unscripted, and lots of other adjectives, executive coaching for leaders. I'm Sue Heilbrunner, your host, and I'm joined by Leah Perlman, my dear friend, a treasured collaborator, and the co-founder of Welcoming Way. You can learn more about me at heysue.com. That's like heysue.com. And more about Leah at welcomingway.com. Today, for our coaching session, we're joined by Young Kim. He's the CEO of a company called Wonolo, W-O-N-O-L-O. And we are so graced by his presence. Thank you so much for joining us today, Young. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited and nervous at the same time. That makes all of us. Yeah, cool. Great. Awesome. Perfect. You want to kick us off with a little presence thing? Yeah. So... Let's just all, and by all, I mean the three of us and anyone listening, we'll just start with a little welcoming meditation. So first, just begin by becoming aware of your physical body. And notice any emotions you're aware of. Could be nervous. Could be excited, could be bored, could be distracted. Just notice any emotion or feeling that's here now. And whatever you're noticing, see if you could just let that be here. Just let it be as it is. And as you're aware of your physical body and any emotions that are riding on the energy of your physical body, see if you can just allow that to be here even more. Sometimes we have resistance to how we're feeling. We think we should feel calmer or more focused or more peaceful or more clear. So if there's any resistance to feeling exactly the way you feel, see if you can just let the resistance be here. Just let that be here as best you can. And then notice any sense that anything that's going to happen in the next 40 minutes in this conversation together there is important, serious, mm-hmm. meaningful, significant. Notice that sense. And see if you can let it feel as significant as it does. And then just let it be as natural as it is. Okay, good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Young, let's hear a sentence or two about what you do for work. 
I call myself the chief empathy officer. My job ultimately is to help other team members be as successful as possible at their job. The company that I'm building uh, with my team um, provides job opportunities to those that are underserved. Um, so we focus on connecting companies that are in kind of the blue collar hourly work type environments uh, and connecting them with workers that are looking for job opportunities out there. And then we we make that happen through technology. Uh, we make it very easy to um, you know help workers find jobs in 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 a simple way. And we are very grateful to be able to make an impact on on everyday lives of these uh, amazing workers. Thank you. Young, do you feel like your work is aligned with your purpose? And if so, or if not, what do you think your purpose is today? I believe so. Um, so I call myself uh, an accidental entrepreneur because like many other entrepreneurs that I know and that I connect with, I had never dreamed of being an entrepreneur or starting a company. I grew up in a family that was very traditional. So, you know, when I was growing up, I had to be a lawyer or a doctor or a professor to be respected. Um, so I always followed the traditional path, you know, do well in school, go to top school, graduate, have certain jobs, go to business school or graduate school, and then continue moving up the ladder. And, you know, I hit, hit the wall when I was in my mid thirties, when everything was going well. I was well-respected at my firm. It was a very lucrative career. And I found myself not even able to look at the mirror. And I just didn't know who I was anymore. And I had to do something drastically different. And my soul-searching process began. And one thing led to another. I kept finding myself drawn to this problem of the world economy looks great, but why is it that you know fifty percent of the people are still suffering from not having stable job opportunities and income opportunities? And I was really drawn to that. So I got into this solving this problem accidentally. Didn't my initial purpose wasn't to start a company. I was just fascinated by the, by the problem. But one thing led to another. It turned into a real business, and here I am. And Obviously, you know, building a company and starting up a company is, is incredibly hard. And I will say that even after, you know, nine years of building this company, you know, it's still incredibly hard, but it has never felt like a job or work. It just feels like something that I was uh, born to do or meant to be. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm, thank you. All right, Young, so we're here to do some live coaching on one or two things that you want to talk about. And I just want to let our listeners know that we haven't discussed these things. And I also want to invite you, Young, we we clearly want you to be open to coaching. That's a prerequisite for joining us today. So you, you know that. And we want you to take care of your own level of vulnerability and just manage manage all of that inside your own system. Share what you want, don't share what you want, and hopefully you'll play a little on the edges so you get value and our listeners get value from this conversation. Great. Keen. So how are you feeling about being here today? I feel really good and timely. Um, I say that because next week I have a 
orally board meeting and it's been keeping me up at night and I have been struggling with it because our last quarter was very challenging and we didn't quite deliver the results that we had anticipated, even though the team worked incredibly hard. Um, and the disconnect that I'm sitting with is that the results didn't quite reflect the, the actual effort that went in and how well the team is working. And I'm, I'm worried about how I may be judged as a, you know, my own performance of, you know, as a CEO, I feel a sense of shame in not delivering the results that, you know, I had uh, committed to the board. There's a bit of embarrassment. I worry about my credibility and credibility is very important to me. Um, so I was struggling with a lot of thoughts and going into uh, the board meeting, I wanted to have a strong conviction on what we need to do in the next quarter uh, and, and beyond. And I'm surrounded by many different opinions from different stakeholders. You know, my team believes we should do something that's also very different from what some of the board members believe we should do. Um, and I feel like I'm stuck in the middle and it's been hard to find my own voice in the midst of all the different opinions. And I want to be able to get to the place where I feel like I have strong conviction in what it is that I want to do and walk into the board meeting with that level of clarity. And I'm, I'm not quite there yet. So I feel like this potentially could be a way to unlock some of the barriers or blockage that I have internally. And that's that part really excites me, makes me feel very hopeful and optimistic. But at the same time, I'm I'm curious how much vulnerability and vulnerability is is, is courage and, and how much uh, courage I can bring out here and share my uh, you know some of the deepest feelings and thoughts uh, publicly. So I want to see if I can do it. I just want to say for my part so far, Young, you've already been incredibly vulnerable by sharing what you've shared and how you're grappling with wanting to do right by your team, wanting to be in integrity with the board, wanting to be honest about what you feel like you can deliver and be clear with everybody about that. And I just, I sense there's a lot of pressure and weight you put on yourself to do right by everybody that's involved. Thank you for uh, hearing that from me. So just to start, there's a lot that you shared there. My instinct is just to start by zeroing in on this thing you said about the team worked really hard and it didn't quite meet the level of your expectation or of the board's expectation. Is that accurate? That is right. Yes, we had a certain target that we felt very confident about uh, being able to achieve uh, coming into the quarter. And then we, let me let me back up and say, I, I want to use the term I. So I, I went to the board and said, you know, we are very confident that we can deliver these results. These are all the things that the team will do. And 
we believe in this uh, plan and we didn't quite get there. And I'm baffled because it wasn't the lack of efforts or it wasn't the lack of sense of urgency. It just turned out to be that the environment that we're in is much harder than we had anticipated. And it just took a little bit longer than we thought. So we didn't meet the results that uh, the, the the team, the, the company and I, we didn't meet the results. And I feel a deep sense of um, embarrassment and shame. So let me just reflect that back to you. So what I heard was at the time you felt genuinely confident that you could meet these deliverables. From your perspective, the team did everything they could. Circumstances, the market, things out of your control, something was such that that there was a gap there. And then somehow you're making that mean something about you, like you did something wrong, it was your fault. There's something to be embarrassed or ashamed about. Is that right? That is right. Because ultimately, the buck stops with me. And I, I, I'm i the person that ultimately should bear the accountability and responsibility. And yeah, that's I'm taking it very personally. And it's been hard for me to detach the actual results uh, from who I am and what I am, and they both kind of coexist. I, I feel like the results of the company is my own uh, personal worth and value. Wow. So one way I hear that is the results aren't good enough. That's a reflection of the fact that I'm not good enough. Is that right? That's right. It's Even though I know deep inside that I should be good enough, I cannot help but feel that I'm not good enough. So I'm just going to lead you, Young, in a little meditation around not good enough, around shame. And I just want to say for anyone listening who has a not good enough story, you can follow along with this as well. You can close your eyes if it feels comfortable. And not good enough. See if you can find that feeling, that fear, that sense. Just notice what it feels like to be afraid that you're not good enough or to even know on some level based on these results. It's proof that you're not good enough. Can you find that feeling? I can, I can feel it even physically. My shoulders are tightened up. Uh, My belly is just all grumbling. I feel like my head is foggy. Good. So just for this moment, see if you can just let that feeling be here. Most of us try to run like crazy from this feeling. We try to prove all the ways we are good enough. We overcompensate with overworking, overperforming just to not feel this feeling. Instead, see if you can just keep doing what you're doing. Notice what it feels like, what the sensations are. Notice any fear that comes with it.
not good enough is also shame. So just notice any wanting to hide this feeling. And notice any sense that it's true, that it actually means something about you or who you are. Are you aware of that? I'm struggling with the word or the feeling of fear because I have always been comfortable with the notion of fear. And I've always felt that I have really good understanding of fear, both biologically and just based on my experience uh, of overcoming fear. So um, it coexists with my fear. So the sense of not good enough, I don't know whether it's stemming from a fear that I'm not acknowledging. It feels more like I'm not good enough. Maybe it's more related to the guilt than fear, if that makes any sense. It feels like the guilt of letting people down, letting the board down, letting my team down, and the consequences that may arise from me letting down are caused by me. And that's, that's I think, where my sense of uh, maybe I'm not good enough is coming from. And I, I wonder if that's still part of my fear or something else. How much of the dynamic that you're describing, this dynamic of, I, I guess the dynamic that I hear you talk about is, well, there are two. One is that this is personal, that this pressure sits with you which strikes me as an example of potentially you taking more than 100% responsibility for the universe, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so 100% just for our listeners in conscious leadership, 100% is this kind of idealized notion of the appropriate amount of responsibility to take in a given circumstance. And in most of the world, we pay attention to when we're taking less than 100% responsibility or people aren't accountable enough. But in conscious leadership, we also notice when people are at 150% responsibility. And so there's part of that dynamic that I see in you, even in you calling yourself the chief empathy officer. When you said that, it's kind and loving. And I noticed my energy went up, but then it went down. It's like, how much responsibility is involved in you being the chief empathy officer? Yeah, you're, you're right. It's a tremendous pressure. I'll give you an example. Sometimes I find myself not showing up as truthfully or honestly as possible because I feel like I worry about whether certain behaviors that I would demonstrate to the other person would go against uh, the image of a empathetic person. And I know, uh, for example, if there is something that I really want to say and wh what I really want to do, because I'm, I'm worried about how the other person will be perceiving that as not as empathetic, I, I then 
change or massage it around and then try to come up as empathetic. This is that's not congruent and authentic and that's also disrespectful, but I can't help it sometimes. Yeah. And I just want to share and just a thought, like I can't help it. If you'd be willing, just so far, I've noticed that I haven't been able to help it sometimes. This isn't ingrained. You you don't always have to be the chief. You could change you are you're actually the chief executive officer in addition to the chief empathy officer. So what if you ever wanted, you could change your title, yeah? That's right. You're you're in charge of all the levers. And so, yeah, I really hear you aware of kind of the subtle manipulation that happens, even even in announcing yourself as this title. Like, is there any benefit you get from, you know, you're the CEO and, and then you describe what CEO means. I say CEO, and then you explain what that means to you. Uh, do you get any benefit from holding yourself as that? I never thought about it that way. Um... The one benefit, um, at least to me, has been that I have this mental model that there is a general negative perception about what CEO is like. And when I interact with new team members or anyone outside of the company, the moment I introduce myself as the CEO, I sense a bit of a a wall or or a bit guard, like guarded, like their uh, physical behavior just changes, right? All of a sudden they're more tense or they want to be in a better, you know, best behavior. Uh, and I don't want that. So um, tactically, <laughs> <laughs> tactically, you know, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want someone to be like, oh, you know, he's the CEO and, yeah. you know, now I have to be on my best behavior. Like, I don't want that. Um, I'm I'm just young, you know. I'm I'm just the same human being. So, so when I introduce uh, myself, let me just can I, I just want yeah. to interrupt you just to point yeah, out. So please. to me, this is the connection between shame and fear. Oh, so, interesting. Right, you you are the CEO, but you don't want someone to think you're the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually some shame about being this thing that people contort around. And so out of the fear of them contorting or seeing you as anything other than young, you've kind of created this way to kind of hide what you are, which is a CEO. You're right. You're right. I do um, hide quite um, often. Oh, my heart feels heavy thinking about this pattern and... When I put that racket, as our our teacher Jim Desmer would call that, when I put that racket next to this other racket, which I want to talk about in a moment, it's like there's just no way you can win. So on one hand, you need to be the understated chief empathy officer who's most charged with loving people and seeing them be their best people and being understated and being humble and all the things. On the other hand, you are the guy who needs to hold the belief that you look at the market opportunity, you set goals, you chart a range of actions, you decide what the actions will result in and create a set of results. You then meet the goals or don't meet the goals. And that's also all about you. Now, if I were you and I held the belief that my job would be the chief empathy officer, then I could walk into that board meeting and just say, I brought cookies. I brought some tea. 
Yeah, we didn't hit our goals. I mean, we didn't, you know, but, but how do you I, feel about that? I love you guys. Yes. You are awesome. <laughs> because you're the chief empathy officer, but you have to do both. You have to be the chief empathy officer and you're making yourself essentially solely responsible for the universe of conditions that contribute to the theoretically perfect analytical path from quarterly goals to meeting them. And then that's on you. So no matter what you lose. You're right. Could there be a world where those two coexist? Well, let's start with this. So notice any desire you have to be perfect, mm-hmm. especially in these two domains. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of that? Right when you mentioned it, when right when you used the word perfect, I immediately noticed it. Okay. I, I wanted both. And mm-hmm. that's probably manifestation of me wanting to be perfect. Yeah. So just notice the want to be perfect. And that want to be perfect is usually sitting on top of a fear of being not enough or imperfect. If you just nail CEO, as Sue described it, and chief empathy officer, if you nail those both, you won't have to face or feel the possibility of not being good enough. Right. And in your world of not good enough, that actually also includes everyone you love, everyone who works for you, everyone who's invested in you, feeling disappointed, let down, Like you're not good enough means everybody suffers. Can you elaborate a little bit more how everyone suffers? Yeah. And I'm saying this, this is what I'm hearing to your Oh, yes. In my, in my mind. Yes. Yes. If I'm not good enough, then I'm, I'm letting down a lot of people around me. Yes. And not only are you letting them down, they're let down. Like, I actually think you care about these people. Yes. To your mind, if I'm not perfect, not only do I suffer, everybody suffers. Our, cl- our, 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 you know, everyone who uses our platform suffers. I mean, exactly. And so I've noticed in this conversation, you use the word hard and challenge multiple times in multiple ways. And now I'm not surprised because the weight of everybody's happiness is on you being perfect. And you don't have to go into the content, but my guess would be. This isn't new from being a CEO. My guess would be this is a pattern that might be as old as you can remember. It is. It is. So see if you can just find, tap into at some point early on, maybe age one, two, three, four, Young got the message, I need to be good for the people I care about to be okay, to be happy. That their happiness depends on my excelling. Yeah, I mean, there are many, many situations or examples. I'll mention my family dynamic um, back in South Korea. My father was a, when I was growing up, he was a successful prosecutor. And my perception of him was that he had the expectation that 
I would be the very best in whatever I did because I was his son and he was successful. So I think I lived up to, I tried to live up to that. And when I didn't quite live up to that, I had a tremendous amount of guilt uh, for not quite getting there. I think maybe that that's somewhat related as well. The other example that I would have is, so I, I came to the States in 1994 by myself. And I came here as a teenager, not knowing much, but I had this very naive perception that if I came to the States, then I would be successful somehow. So against my parents' wishes, I I left uh, my country and then came here. And, you know, first 10 years uh, living in the U.S., were not not smooth i mean it was very turbulent and there was a part of me that really regretted my decision to having left south korea and i come to this new country and try to make it on my own and i think one of the mechanisms of how i suppressed my regret was if i could overcompensate how I showed up and how I could be really like amazing, then maybe I could justify that decision. Maybe there's a bit of that. And at some point it just became part of me that this is maybe who I am, how I show up and it worked. So, you know, I kept doing it in the same way. And then now here I am, I guess I'm, I, I created an impossible situation for myself. Yeah, I want to catch that. Uh, impossible just in this moment, maybe. You know, so there's so many options. Remember the kind of the below the line context is that to me consciousness that life is happening to me. I've created an impossible situation. That shift to above the line where you get open and curious and in a consciousness of by me, I am the engineer of my own options, my own openings is right here. It's available to you right now. Even as you share your willingness to talk about this, you're exhibiting access to that. So this could change in an instant or in in, in a situation like this young where You've been unpacking this dynamic. You'll be unpacking this dynamic for the rest of your life. We're going to meet you, hopefully, hopefully when you're 75 and I'm much older. I hope I get to meet you then. And you're still going to be likely working on this dynamic and you're just going to be better at it. You're going to be more aware. You're going to spot yourself and the bar that you're holding for yourself and that it can be impossible. And even if you shift this pattern 3%, it will be radical. An idea I have in that vein that I just want to toss to you is this seems like a really great moment for you to consider opening up yourself to empathy, having empathy for you and allowing, as you're doing here, this podcast won't be live before your board meeting in all likelihood, which is sad, but you could do parts of this podcast with your board so that they could understand how challenging it is for you 
to miss your numbers. And I love in multiple instances about missing, you've said, miss it just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit off, <laughs> so almost perfect. But just what emotionally is going on for you so that they could be your chief empathy officers and be on your team instead of the people that are holding the ruler, which I'm quite confident is not the role your board most of the time thinks they have to do with you because you're doing such a good job of holding, maybe too good, holding the ruler for yourself. Thank you. And if I may, um, can you share with me what that adjusting, you know, two, 3% could look like in, in practice? Yeah, I could try and Liam, you might have a sense of that too. I think I would start with just being open and available with your own feelings so other people can connect to you in a way that is non-linear. When I hear you describe that second phase of being the chief executive officer, it's so linear. It's like, of course this will work. We've laid all the plans. We've figured out we have the perfect dependencies and apparently slightly imperfect dependencies in our spreadsheet. And this is what happened. We missed by a little bit. Okay, got that. Now, could you show them this other sphere of you? I feel embarrassed. It is horrifying for me to miss my numbers. I was patterned in my family to meet, or frankly, I'm sure, to exceed goals. And I want to let you know, I'm beating the hell out of myself. So I'd love to wonder about how we could be allies in understanding better what happened this quarter with an understanding that I'm feeling this deeply. And, and I worry that you also are and that that's reflecting badly on me. How about that? I, that I could definitely do it. I think one, one aha moment for me is that in my mental model, the board knows that I'm feeling, you know, the, the, the feelings that I share with you about the shame and the guilt, I had a mental mo model that they already know or they can feel it. Oh, uh, but, but now I realize that just because I'm feeling it doesn't mean that others will pick that up and know that. No, and there are other CEOs who do not have this experience of missing their numbers. This is you. It's not completely unique, but this reaction is yours. Mm -hmm. It's non-obvious. That's, that's enlightening. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I have to let them know how, what my experience has been like. Mm -hmm. And, and specifically the part I heard that Sue said that I love so much is ask them, enroll their support. You're, you're a team here. You have a role, they have a role, your team has a role. It's not the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're a team, including in processing and being with the feelings and the wonderings about what happened when numbers get missed. Like it's admirable how much accountability you take and then there's plenty of room where you're taking way more and you have a whole universe of people around who can support you mm -hmm. in, in figuring out what to do about it. 
Got it. Thank you. I have one other thought. Uh, did you hit your numbers last quarter? No, that's the problem. How about the quarter before? No, this year, you know, I missed it's been a rough a year. Bit. Yeah, it's a rough year. Okay. How about when's the last quarter you hit? The year before? Um, uh, it's been some time. It's okay. been some time, yes. Okay. If that's true, where might there be issues with your process? <laughs> what what might be what, what's an input that might be off in your process for setting your numbers? I think we're we might have been overly optimistic um, and setting goals that are potentially too high. Does that feel more true if you say that as I? As I, yes, that is true. Just and just for fun, just say it like say it again, but with I instead of we. Yes, I I set the goals too high, too optimistic and. Given the market dynamics out there, I might have overestimated our ability to beat the market. And just one more layer, what condition might be present that's creating this tendency for over-optimism? Maybe it's it's one of the ways of I punish myself and redeem myself. Oh. No wonder things feel so hard. Young, the next time you hit your numbers, I hope you'll send us a note. And what I can't wait to hear is just as much as you're uniquely punishing yourself for missing them, I hope you uniquely give yourself credit for hitting them. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely send you a bottle of wine. And <laughs> we'll virtually celebrate together. <laughs> All right. Uh, Young, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Hey Sue podcast. This is, we've been with Young Kim. He's the CEO of Wanolo. Check it out online if you have a business or a friend who might benefit from their platform. And with respect to our podcast, if you or someone you know is a business leader who wants to get free coaching in exchange for sharing your truth on this podcast, and you got a really good example for what that sounds like today, we want to hear from you. Find me, Sue Heilbronner, it starts with H-E-I-L on LinkedIn, send a connection request and drop me a note there. And one ask, if you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend, leave a review, do all of the things, and we'll see you next time on the Hey Sue podcast. Thanks, Leah. My pleasure. Thanks, Young. Thank you so much.